When I was a kid, I loved watching TV shows and movies about the future and dreaming about what the future might be like. Um, one of those movies that I loved as a kid was the Back to the Future trilogy. Uh, this is you know, back in the 1980s, so it's dating me a little bit. But um, one of the, the movies there portrayed the year 2015, which was way in the future at the time, um, uh, with flying cars and hoverboards. Uh, here's a picture of one of those awesome hoverboards that was basically like a skateboard that hovered above the ground. I was, I, I was so excited that like one day I was going to have a hoverboard in the future. But here we are. Actually, 2015 is now four years in the past, and I'm still waiting for those flying cars. I'm still waiting for that hoverboard. But then there are other things in, um, in movies and TV shows in the past that where they imagined what, what life might be like in the future, that have actually happened. Um, I remember a few years ago when Samsung uh, first came out with their Galaxy Gear smartwatch. And they ran this commercial that showed actually these other watches there on the side that come from different movies or TV shows. So up there is, is one from Dick Tracy and from Star Trek. Uh, the Jetsons, Inspector Gadget, that, that had these, these watches that you could, you could talk to someone through it, you know, and, and here we are, we have smartwatches, right, where you can actually do that. But, um, and so actually the, the tagline of this commercial at the time as they were showing all these different, um, you know, watches from, from the past, uh, you know, imagining what the future was like, their tagline was, after all these years, it's finally real. It's finally real after all these years of waiting for this, this thing that could happen. Well, um, the actual smartwatches that you can buy today, like, like Samsung's um, or the Apple Watch, they're, they're actually not exactly like some of these other watches, right, that, that were portrayed in TV shows or, or movies. Um, you know, they're, they're a little bit different. It, it looks a little bit different. There's some functionality that's different. But there is the sense that, you know, all these things that we're hoping that might happen in the future... It's finally real. It's, it's come to pass. What used to be just a dream for the future is now a present reality. Uh, well, during this season of Advent, we're going to be kind of looking at something similar um, in, in this series over these next few weeks. Uh, we're going to be looking at some dreams of what the future would be like that were told by the prophet Isaiah. Um, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah wrote about these prophecies of, of what the future would hold. And, but kind of like the, the smartwatch, the fulfillment of those dreams were not exactly what people were expecting in some ways, right? There was some fulfillment that happened. We're going to be looking at how those were fulfilled actually in Jesus, or at least the beginnings of those fulfillments in Jesus. Um, and so each Sunday in Advent, we're going to be looking at this, this series of glimpses of Jesus in the book of Isaiah and how what Isaiah foretold about the future actually came to pass when Jesus came, but they also looked a little bit different from maybe what, what uh, people in Isaiah's time were thinking of. So today we're going to um, be looking at this idea of Jesus as the new temple. Um, in, in the passage that we're going to look at today, Isaiah has this, this vision of what was going to happen in the future that was surrounding the temple. But we're going to see that actually this passage, in a lot of ways, points ahead to Jesus as the new temple, that Jesus came to actually fulfill this prophecy 
in himself. And we'll, so we'll, we'll, we'll take a look at how that, how that is. So our text today is from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 2. And we'll be reading verses 1 through 5. And so we'll have the verses on the screen or you can follow along in your Bibles or the Bibles in the pews. So Isaiah chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would speak to us, Lord, through it, uh, that you would give us ears to hear um, this word from the prophet Isaiah that uh, was speaking in some ways about Jesus and what what he would do when he came into this world, even as we acknowledge that there is still even a greater fulfillment of this Uh, someday in the future when Christ will return. And so we pray that you would um, give us an anticipation and a hope and and that you'd teach us, Lord, um, through your word today. So lead us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we look at how uh, this passage gives us glimpses of of Jesus, how this this prophecy from Isaiah gives us glimpses of Jesus, I want to start by just looking at at itself, at Isaiah's vision of the future. Um, and, And so... A place to start is actually kind of trying to see who, who was Isaiah, uh, what was he talking about in this passage, what was the context in which Isaiah was speaking when he, when he spoke these words. Well, the prophet Isaiah ministered about 700 years before Jesus was born. So this was happening back, you know, um, centuries before Jesus came. And at that time, the nation of Israel had, was divided into two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom. Um, of Israel, and then there was a southern kingdom of Judah. And Isaiah ministered and prophesied primarily to the southern kingdom of Judah. Even in that very first verse, it talks about uh, this this is what he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Um, and, And what he was doing in most of his prophecy, we see throughout this book, is he was warning the people of Judah about something that was coming. He was warning them that because of their sin, and their rebellion against God, that they would be conquered, and that they would be led into exile to Babylon. So Isaiah was prophesying doom. He was prophesying judgment that was coming um, to Judah. And much of the book of Isaiah warns about this, this coming judgment. But also, sprinkled throughout the book of Isaiah is this other theme, this theme of hope, this theme of, of restoration, And so Isaiah, although he's speaking about judgment that was coming, he also speaks about this hope that God would also rescue his people, that he would rescue them from exile, that he would would bring them back to their land. And then there's also these moments where he speaks about this thing that seems like it's coming even further in the future. 
And so we, we get the first glimpse of this theme right in our, in our text, um, in chapter 2 um, of, of Isaiah. And we see this in verse 2 of our text where we read, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. So here Isaiah, he's talking, when he, he talks about this mountain of the Lord, he's, he's referencing the mountain that the temple was built upon, which is Mount Zion. But he's not talking about this mountain literally growing in size so that it's like the, the tallest mountain in the world. But he's using a figure of speech, a metaphor, that the people in his context would have understood that when he talks about it being the chief mountain, what he's, what he's saying is that the God of Israel, who's represented by the temple, that one day this God will be established among all others as the one true God. And that actually when this happens, that, that nations will come to worship this God. They will come and streaming, as it says, uh, to worship the Lord. Now in the, in the NIV translation that we have here, um, that the beginning of the verse, it says that it will happen in the last days which we might assume is, it means that Isaiah here is talking about the end of the world, you know, something that's going to happen at the very, very end. But the, the Hebrew phrase, the, the actual Hebrew words that, that's, that that translates, literally says, in the afterward of these days. Uh, so some other translations read, in the latter days, or in days to come. And so Isaiah here, it's, it's not clear. Is he talking about something that's going to happen at the very end, or is he just talking about something that's going to happen in the future? It's going to happen sometime in the future. So the question is, how far in the future is Isaiah talking about here when he says this? Well, when you look at some of other Isaiah's prophecies, some of them actually happen quite soon after Isaiah's life. Isaiah's prophecy about Judah going into exile happened about a hundred years after he died. Babylon came and conquered Israel, destroyed Jerusalem, and led the people into exile. But then also some of Isaiah's prophecies about the people returning to the land, that also happened about 70 years after they were brought into exile. Some people returned from exile to Babylon. Now, the temple was actually destroyed when Babylon came and destroyed and, and conquered Jerusalem. And so, so for a period of time, there was no temple at all in the land of, you know, in Jerusalem. But then when the exiles returned, they rebuilt the temple. And that's how we see this in, in, in Ezra and Nehemiah. And you can almost imagine that when that happened, right, the people came back. Isaiah's prophecy came true, right? We rebuilt the temple. All right. You can imagine that the people began to wonder, is this when Isaiah's words are going to come true? You know, will, will God's temple and, and the God of Israel be lifted above all others? Is, is this the time when, when all nations are going to come streaming to Jerusalem to worship the one true God? But it didn't happen then. For the next 500 years, although the temple was rebuilt and God's people were living in the land, they were under foreign control. They were ruled by one empire after the other, the Persians, then the Greeks, then the Romans. And, and it seemed during this time that, that the temples 
and the gods of those empires were much higher and more dominant than the tiny occupied territory of Israel. You know, the, the nations were certainly not streaming to Jerusalem to worship the one true God. And so there's this period of time where the temple's rebuilt and we're back in the land, but, but this vision of Isaiah, it's, it's not happening. Right? They're still under foreign control. But then something started to happen. Different people began to speak and act as if some of these prophecies from Isaiah were starting to come true. There's an old man named Simeon who had been waiting for Israel's redemption, waiting for this day. And he's waiting in the temple, and all of a sudden he sees this young couple with a baby walking into the temple courts. And he goes over to them, and he takes the baby in his arms, and he begins to sing this song that now he has seen God's salvation. That now he has seen the salvation that's for Israel's glory, but also, he says, a light for the Gentiles, for the nations. And then there's the, these magi, these, 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 these wise men, these kings that are, that are from outside of Israel, far away. And what happens? They come streaming to Jerusalem. And, and they're looking for one who is born king of the Jews. We see the beginning of the nations streaming to Jerusalem with the Magi coming, waiting for this baby who had been born. And then there are these angels out in, in the fields that appear to this group of shepherds outside of Bethlehem. And what are they singing about? They're singing about peace on earth, peace coming into our world, something that Isaiah talked about. 700 years earlier, in the passage that I just read about, about war not being present anymore and, and you know, spears being ground down to, to, to hooks. And what's happening? Just like that Samsung smartwatch commercial, after all these years, it's finally real. Something is happening in Jerusalem, in Bethlehem, in in the nation of Israel, Isaiah's prophecy was beginning to come true. But similar to that smartwatch commercial, it wasn't looking exactly like the people expected. You see, people at that time, they expected the nation of Israel to rise to this place of political power and prominence and, and for the temple in Jerusalem to be lifted up above all these other places of worship. And they're expecting, you know, okay, now Jesus is coming. He's going to rule as the Messiah. And now it's going to all be fulfilled. But then in 70 AD, that second temple is destroyed. The Romans destroyed the temple. And Israel didn't rise to a place of political power. And so Again, many people wonder, what's going on here? Well, what I want to look at is, is how this prophecy that, Israel, that Isaiah gives 700 years before Jesus actually, I believe, was fulfilled, or at least the beginnings of it was fulfilled in Jesus. And the way that it was fulfilled in Jesus is that Jesus was coming onto the stage and saying that he is actually the new temple, that he was the temple that Isaiah was talking about. So let's take a look at glimpses of Jesus in Isaiah's vision. Well, the key to understanding 
how Jesus fulfills this prophecy that Isaiah gave comes from our scripture reading that Daniel and Margaret read for us earlier from John chapter 2. If you, if you heard that, that story, here's a, an image of, of what was happening, right? Jesus comes into the temple in Jerusalem and he starts going crazy, right? He's, he's, he gets a whip and he starts whipping the, these money changers and, and uh, these people that are selling things in the temple courts and he gets upset. He gets really angry with what's happening in the temple. And near the end of, of um, the passage, the Jewish leaders are obviously pretty taken aback by what Jesus is doing here in the temple. And they tell him, you know, hey, they demand a sign from Jesus to show what authority do you have to do all this stuff in the temple? And this is what Jesus replies. He says, here's the sign. Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And the Jewish leaders are, are taken aback and say, what are you talking about? It took 46 years for this temple to get built. How are you going to build this temple in three days? And then in verse 21 of John chapter 2, G, John records this. He says, but the temple he had spoken of was his body. See, Jesus saw his body himself as the new temple that he had come to be and to do what the Old Testament temple had meant to do in the, in the Old Testament. But he said, I have come to become the new temple, to fulfill what the temple was. And he says, I, my body is that temple that's going to, to be destroyed, but will be raised up again on the third day. When we see Jesus as the new temple, Isaiah's words in our text, actually begin to take on a whole new meaning. So I want to look at, at, at four ways that Jesus fulfills what Isaiah was talking about in Isaiah 2, where Jesus is the new temple, where we see these glimpses of Jesus in this vision from Isaiah. And, and as we see these four glimpses, we're also going to see that actually they um, have implications for our lives today. So the first way that Jesus is the new temple that Jesus fulfills this, that he's the glimpse, we see this glimpse in Isaiah, is that Jesus is raised up. In, in Isaiah 2, Isaiah says that, that the mountain of the temple would be raised up, would be raised above all the hills, and we'd be established as chief among the mountains. Well, Jesus' body was literally raised up on the cross. He was raised up to this place where, where he was nailed and where he died for the sins of the world. And then as he predicted, he says on the third day, this temple is going to be rebuilt. And there Jesus is raised up again. He's raised up from the dead. And then after appearing to his disciples for 40 days, Jesus is raised up even higher when he is ascended, when he ascends into heaven. And what happens when he ascends to heaven? He ascends where he sits at the right hand of God. He, he sits in this place of power and authority. He is now raised up to the chief among all other rivals. Exactly what Isaiah says, right? That this mountain, this, this temple is going to be raised up to be the chief among all others. And where is Jesus reigning right now? He is reigning as the King of kings and the Lord of lords above all others. Now, what does that mean for us? That Jesus was raised up. 
Well, what it means for us is that because Jesus was raised up on the cross, our sins have been paid for. Because one of the things that happened in the temple in Jerusalem was that they dealt with sin in the temple. There were all these animal sacrifices that were made at the temple to cleanse the people's sins. And when Jesus came and was raised up on the cross, he says, guess what, guys? You don't need that temple anymore because I am the temple. I am now the one who has dealt with sin fully. I am the final sacrifice. He sacrificed himself on the cross so that there is no need for a physical temple. There is no need for, for sac- phys- animal sacrifices to be made anymore because Jesus came to become the new temple and has satisfied that. So we don't have to offer sacrifices because Jesus paid it all. And because Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and is in, it is at this place of ultimate power and authority, what does that mean for us? We have direct access to God now. That we can come directly to him in prayer. The temple was the place where God met the people. Where he came and dwelt among the people. But there were all these intermediaries, right? You couldn't actually go into the Holy of Holies because there was, there was these barriers there. But, but it was the way that God interacted with the people. And when Jesus came and he's raised up to heaven, ascended into heaven, he says, guess what? You now have access to the Father directly. You can enter right into the Holy of Holies through our prayers to him because he has removed any barrier that's there. Jesus, when he came into the world, he came as Emmanuel, God with us, God dwelling among us. Jesus is now the new temple where heaven and earth intersect. He's the new temple where God encounters us, where we can have direct access to him. The second way that Jesus fulfills and functions as as the new temple, is that Jesus draws all nations to himself. One of the things that Isaiah said in this passage, right, he says that all nations would stream to this lifted up temple. What did Jesus do when he, before he ascended into heaven? He gave the great commissions to his disciples and he says, go and make disciples of all nations. This is not just for Israel anymore. Now, because I've come, it's for all nations to come to me. And what happens right after that? On the day of Pentecost, there are people from all these different nations who come streaming to Jerusalem. And they come there, and the Holy Spirit comes upon those first believers so that everybody's able to hear the preaching in their own language God brought the nations streaming to Jerusalem so that they could hear the good news of Jesus. And from there, the message went out to reach the nations, as Jesus put it, to the ends of the earth. So Jesus comes as the new temple to draw all nations to himself. And guess what we see 2,000 years later? The gospel has spread all over the world. Nations coming and streaming to Jesus. What does that mean for us today? It means that no matter what nationality or race or ethnicity we are, we are all invited to come to Jesus as the new temple. That there is no nationality that has preferential status. There's no nationality that is excluded. But that the new people of God are made up of people from every language, every nation, every culture. And the more that we as the church can reflect that reality, the more that we 
give a picture to the world of this prophecy that Isaiah had of all nations coming to him. The third way that we see Jesus functioning as the new temple in this text is that Jesus sends out his word. In verse 3 of our text, we read, The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And so Isaiah says that that when when this happens, when this new temple is raised up, God's word is going to go out from here, from the temple in Jerusalem. If Jesus is the new temple, then he is the source of God's word. God's word goes out from him. And that's exactly what Jesus claims to be. With Jesus as the new temple, he's the source. In in the beginning of John's gospel, John says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus is the word. He is God's word, made flesh, become a human being. That's what Christmas is all about. And then as Jesus becomes the word, he is the word and he's made flesh. Then what happens? The word goes out from him sent out are all around the world. He calls his disciples to bring his word out into among the nations. What does that mean for us today? That we can have confidence that when we look at Jesus, when we hear his words, we're hearing the word of God, that he is the embodiment of God's word to us. And so we can trust it. We can trust him. And it also means that we who are his followers get the privilege and the responsibility of being messengers of that word to the world, that we actually get to live out what Isaiah was talking about, of the word going out from Jesus, from the temple. The fourth and final way that Jesus functions as the new temple is that Jesus brings about peace. We see this aspect in verse 4, which says, He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes, For many peoples, they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Isaiah here gives this picture of of peace, of an absence of conflict and war, which results from the temple being raised up and nations streaming to it. Jesus is the source of that peace. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus speaks about giving peace to his disciples, giving peace to the world. How does Jesus bring about peace? Well, the first peace that he brings is peace between humanity and God. A vertical peace. That that when Jesus came, he came to to bridge this gap between humanity and God. That, That sin, our sin, makes us enemies of God. And when Jesus came, he came to reconcile us, as we talked about a couple weeks ago. But then this peace that is established between us and God then flows out into our horizontal relationships with people. Because God has forgiven us, we're able to forgive one another. And so when, when two people come to Jesus as, as the one who settles disputes, peace will be the result. And, and the same thing can even happen among nations, that, that if two nations were truly to submit themselves to Jesus, guess what would happen? They would no longer take up swords against each other. Right? Jesus is the source of peace in our world. Now, of course, this reality rarely happens in our world, especially among nations. And so there is a sense that, that this, 
this promise here is not fully fulfilled yet. Right? That one day Jesus will return and, and there will be no more war. There will be no more conflict. But, but the beginnings of it, the, the hope for this is all in Jesus as the new temple. And so what that means for us today, you know, even as we're waiting for this day when that will finally happen, what it means is that in our world today, if we are in conflict with another believer, we're called to go to the feet of Jesus and to put down our weapons of warfare, whether that's our words or our attitudes or gossip or our pride or anything else, and allow him to bring his peace into that relationship. Jesus wants to bring peace among his people. Sometimes that takes a process. Sometimes it, it takes someone else to mediate. But Jesus, as the new temple, he wants to bring peace as we submit ourselves to him. This, this past week, I was reading an article from the New York Review of Books that was titled, A Tale of Two Churches. And it tells a story of, of this historically black church and then a predominantly white megachurch in North Carolina. And these two churches decided to merge together. Um, they were going to keep their two locations, but they, they decided they wanted to come under the same kind of you know, banner and, and to partner together, to share resources, to learn from each other. And it all started when the pastor of the black church saw a billboard for, that, for the white megachurch and said, hey, that church has the same name as my church. And so he said, I'm going to call up that pastor and find out what, what they're all about. And he went to their service and, and there, there began to be this, this friendship that began to form between these two pastors, this white pastor and this black pastor. And eventually, as time went on, they decided, you know what, we're going to bring our churches together. We're going to form one church, two locations, but we're going to, we're going to partner together. But here's the crazy thing. The day after that happened, the day after they, they officially merged as one church, there was a fatal shooting of a black man by police in Charlotte, North Carolina, just 40 miles away from these two churches. And this, this shooting came on the heels of so many others. You, you probably remember this. You know, this was back in 2016 when there were many of these shootings that had happened and and, there was the, and, it, and it once again fanned the flames of tension between police and the black community, again, highlighting these deep divisions within our nation. But these two pastors, the day after this happened, they came together and, and they said, you know, we want to tell a different story than the story that's being told so often in our media. They felt that there was something significant, actually maybe even something divine about the fact that their two churches united on the day before this shooting. And so on the day after the shooting, Pastor Derek, the pastor of the black church, said this. He said, what we're doing in this moment is leading the change through a nation that's hurting. We have to see the bigger picture of what God is doing. So we're merging together what heaven will look like. These two pastors said, you know, we, we, want, we realize the hurt and the, the misunderstanding, but we want to show a picture of something different, a picture of unity, a picture of, of healing in the midst of this. Now, the author of this, of this article, who wrote this article about these two churches, was actually a Jewish woman from here in New York City. And she, and she heard about these two churches and what they were doing, and she was kind of intrigued by this story. She went down 
kind of primarily interested in the political angle of all this. But when she went down to North Carolina and she interviewed these two pastors, she began to actually feel personally affected in her own life. And, and the pastor, they invited her to come to one of the services. And before the pastor began his sermon, he invited this reporter up front and said, you know what, this, this reporter, she came down here looking to, for a story, wanting to, to tell the story about our two churches, and, and I want to ask her to come up and, and we want to pray for her. And so the, these, he invited several people around the church to come around this, this Jewish woman, reporter from New York City, and begin to pray for her. And this is what the author writes in the article near the end. She says, I lost the battle with myself and wept openly. She was just broken down. And she says, I wanted so desperately to believe what Pastor Jay believed, that a benevolent, divine, forgiving force was at work healing our nation, helping us right the wrongs and atone for the sins and reach beyond the current situation of denial and distrust. Could the proof that the battle was slowly being won be found here, where Pastor Jay and Pastor Derek had joined forces to fight fear and hate? The tale of these two churches is only possible because Jesus is the new temple. Because he is the one who is able to bring together people of different backgrounds, people of different political opinions, people of different life experiences, and begin to unite them together into one body, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And the only hope, as this reporter even said, the only hope of, of, of that happening in our nation in our cities, is Jesus, the one who has the power to bridge those kind of divides, who has the power to reconcile people. And when that happens, when that begins to happen, when you catch glimpses of it, guess what happens? It, it draws people to Jesus, like this Jewish journalist from here in New York City. She saw something happening there that she was drawn to because Jesus is the new temple we actually get to see glimpses of Isaiah's vision in our world today, in our lives today. As I mentioned, there's, there's, there's a sense that, that Isaiah's vision, it's not going to be, it, we're never going to see it fully present in our world until when Christ returns. As we said, Advent, part of what Advent is about is this waiting and this longing for Christ to return when he will finally consummate all of these prophecies in all of their fullness. But because Jesus came and established himself as the new temple, guess what? He's bringing glimpses of that even in our world today. He's bringing it in, in North Carolina, and he wants to bring it here in Brooklyn, in our neighborhood, in our community. This morning, we have the opportunity to partake the Lord's Supper together. And in many ways, the Lord's Supper is a visual reminder of Jesus as our new temple. Because we hear the account of Jesus being raised up on the cross, giving us his body and blood, becoming the ultimate sacrifice, taking the place of the old temple. And as we eat the bread and drink from the cup, Jesus meets us in the midst of these elements giving us his body, his new, this new temple, 
that makes peace between us and God, but we also partake of this meal as a community of believers. We're called, as we come to the Lord's table, to come and reconcile with each other, to make peace as we come to the table. And we come, as, you, as we look around this, this, this congregation, we come as people from various nationalities, various cultural backgrounds, all to the same table, to share of the one bread that we partake of together, because we're invited to come as one body. And as we hear God's word spoken to us in this meal, we are then sent out, as Isaiah said, to bring that word out to others. So let's prepare to come to Jesus, our new temple, as he invites us to his table. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you came to fulfill what the temple was meant to do in Israel, to atone for our sins, that you came to to bridge this gap between a holy God and a sinful people, and you came and you did it completely. You finished it. You finished your work there on the cross, Lord, so that we can come directly to you. We can, we can speak to you, God, because of Jesus as our mediator. And we thank you that, that when you came, Jesus, you, you ushered in this new reality of, of, of drawing all nations to yourself. We saw the beginning of that at the day of Pentecost as, as nations came to Jerusalem and And we see it, Lord, as we look out at our world and we see your church spread across the world among nations and peoples and as missionaries are continuing to bring that word to to new people groups all around our nation. We see it as we we see a, a black church and a white church joining together to worship. We see it in our own congregation as as people from from all of us, various backgrounds and come to worship as as we worship with our our brothers and sisters in our Chinese-speaking department and Lord, we thank you that you are the God who's able to bridge divisions. Lord, we pray that that more and more of this vision of Isaiah's would would come to pass, would happen in our world, Lord, where, where we live in such a divided world. But we know that you are the one you came so that to bring peace, to stop the war. And so we pray that, that, that you would use us, Lord, as your people to, to show a different way in this, in this world. A way that is not creating more division, but one that is opening up this possibility of, of healing and reconciliation. A picture that we see in these churches down in North Carolina. We pray that we would be people that bring that in our world too, Lord, just as you came to establish, you came to announce peace on earth as the angels sang. So we pray that you do that in our lives, in our hearts, and that you do it through us, God, in our community and in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.